asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. Today, we're answering your listener questions. You know what, man? This is our Ask How to Money Monday episodes where, like we always do, we've got five listener questions that we're going to get to, including a listener who is asking whether they should be combining their, their finances. This is uh, advice for a newlywed couple. Another listener is looking, he's trying to locate the fees associated with the funds that they're mm. invested in. They're hidden, huh? He's investing, but what is it costing him? That's always something that we recommend for folks to do. And then we're going to be offering our best advice to a listener who is inheriting some money. What should she be doing with that money? I'm looking forward to all three of those questions, plus a couple others. That's right. Bring your A game today, Matthew, okay? Oh, I am bringing it. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, before we get to that, I just wanted to... I'm to trying. <laughs> I caught up with a coworker I hadn't seen in a couple of years this last week for coffee. Nice. And it was, it was just you know, nice to see him. It had been a long time. And during the course of our conversation, he mentioned to me that he had cut back to working three and a half days a week. And yet he was still able... Three and a half. Very nice. Yeah. He was still able to get full-time benefits because of that. So he's basically like this part-time, full-time role. And it just made me think my mom did something similar where she cut back to working three days a week as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think some nurses do 12-hour workdays. She doesn't. It's more like a nine or 10-hour workday. But she's able to work three days a week and still get health care benefits 
through her job. Very nice. And so I don't know. It just makes. I think there's a lot of people, Matt, who maybe feel like they're they're working too much. They don't mind making less money, but the difficult thing, uh, the most difficult thing about working part time, typically for a lot of people, would be to lose those benefits. Maybe to not have a 401k, to not have health access, healthcare mm-hmm. access, and so just put it on people's radar. Talking to my friend Theo, realizing that he kind of made that plunge and you know, talking to my mom about her decision to go down that route made me feel like it was worth a suggestion here for our listeners who are, you know, financially savvy. They've been doing a good job. They've been yeah. saving and investing well, but they're like, you know what? I, I, I'm not necessarily wanting to like quit my job and go do something different. I, I like my job, but I would like a little more personal time. I would like some more time to ride my bike or work out or volunteer at the local shelter down the street for me. What? whatever it is that you would love to have extra time to do, well, it might not necessarily take this severe trade-off, like saying, I'm quitting work altogether to go in this direction. Um, I'm, I'm going from a full-time salary to no salary. <laughs> there are these gradations of work that you can basically implement into your life, and more folks are doing it. So just word of the wise out there, might be worth asking your employer, like, hey, love my job, can I work a day less and still keep kind of the most important benefits, um, even if it means not making quite as much money. Yeah, that's right. It's good for folks to know that this is a possibility, especially given where the job market is right now, right? Like you've heard a lot of folks talking about making the moves, jumping from one employer to another. Uh, or how about the ability to make your life look more like you want it to look? And I think now is actually a great time to do that. So like you said, I think that's good. It sounds like the first step even towards Coast Fire. Uh, and I just looked this up, but it was episode 380 that we talked about. Choose your own adventure. Different flavors of fire. And so if what Joel is saying sounds appealing to you, go back and listen to that episode. I don't know if this is more Coast Fire or more Barista Fire, right? Where you're working less, keeping those benefits and you're just able to... Yeah, it's all semantics. Yeah. Are we in a recession, Joel? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it just depends on, on who you ask. Uh, but yes, scaling back that work, still doing something that you enjoy while still making some money. Sounds pretty nice. Uh, maybe we'll get there. You know, we're at four and a half days. That's right. Theo, he's working one day less than us, but I feel like there's just so much we want to do. There's so much that we enjoy doing yeah. with how to money, with the business that I think it'll... It's going to be baby steps. Maybe next year it'll be instead of working four and a half days a week, it'll be working just four days. Yeah. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- there's all sorts of, especially when you own your own business, there are ways that you can hire someone to do a couple tasks to take them off your plate or that you can forego a little bit of income and, and work a little bit less overall. And those are the kind of decisions, Matt, that, that we can make if we want to. And maybe we will at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let, the, tri- the trick is making those decisions together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and hey, we've moved our families to a new city like that's a decision we made together so if we can handle that i think we can we can handle anything that's right we any challenge this. set before us we got this bro uh <laughs> fist bump fist bump but let's move on matt let's mention the beer that we're having um today on the episode this one is called saison de bank vert that's how i'm gonna pronounce it oh very nice yeah, by green branch brewing it's a saison <laughs> we'll give our thoughts on it later on Yes, we will. This is a farmhouse ale. I'm looking forward to sharing this one with you. Uh, and like we mentioned, this is our Ask How to Money episode. And so we want you to know, you can submit your very own question uh, to Joel and I here at How to Money. Just go to our website, specifically go to howtomoney.com forward slash ask. And there you can find the uh, the simple instructions to send us a voice memo. And hopefully we will be able to answer your question on an upcoming episode. But Joel, let's get to our first question, which is from a listener. Uh, and he is the one who has that newlywed question. Hey guys, Sanders here from Brooklyn, New York. I want to start by thanking you for always putting out good financial tips for us listeners out there. 
I want to ask two questions. First one is, for married newlyweds, do you think it's a good or bad idea to have shared account? And please explain for both options. And last one is, what is a good debit card that is offering the best reward or cash back or both? Thank you. All right, Matt, this is a, this is a great question. I, I can't really tell, though. Is Sanders, is he about to get married, about to propose? Where's he at on this? He intentionally kept it vague because uh, the results are yet to be determined. Is that even your real name, Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe he's trying to disguise it so his spouse, who also listens, uh, won't find out. Well, or his girlfriend. Or fiance. That's right. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, uh, Sanders, either way, congrats on just getting married or on your upcoming wedding. But uh, yeah, I, and I'll, we'll just say up front, Matt, not everyone's going to agree with our advice here, which is okay. But, you know, Sanders asked us, though, and so we're going to give our thoughts um, <laughs> about how to manage money as a married couple. But we'll, we'll also give some advice here because not everybody wants to take the approach that we take or that we prescribe. So, uh, yeah, since, since Sanders asked for our two cents, we personally think that combining accounts is the best route for mm-hmm. most married couples. I mean, think about the vows you're taking when you get married, uh, the lifelong commitment that you're agreeing to. Yeah. But then you're saying, eh, I'm not really sure if I want to combine <laughs> assets with you. It's like till death do us part. And then you're like, but man, but get, your, not. get your hands off my savings account. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to us, it, it, it makes logical sense that given the enormity of what a marriage commitment is, mm-hmm. combining money seems like a reasonable choice when you're when you're already basically committing your life to somebody yeah. else. Yeah. When you're pledging your literally the rest of your life to each other, it, it almost seems inappropriate to, to say, oh, Everything except for our finances. Yeah, or I'm carving out my uh, Atlanta Braves bobblehead collection. <laughs> you can make, not take part in the appreciation of it. That you cannot touch. Uh, it basically makes me think that as an individual, you might have too high of a view of money. Like the, like the role that money plays in your life is maybe a little too important if it comes before a lifelong partner. Or maybe it means you don't have high enough of a view of that partner, right? Of, of that of that spouse. Or the institution uh, of marriage. Or, or, yeah, or maybe specifically that relationship. But either way, like you said, this is our view. But we, you know, we'll give an alternative opinion or thought here because we realize that something like half of marriages actually end in divorce. And because folks are just less likely to go this route than they were a couple of decades ago, especially as we're waiting longer and longer to get married, right? Folks are, uh, they're not getting married right after, right out of college like they used to. Uh, And so the reality is that you've likely accumulated more assets if you, you know, if you're getting married at 32 rather than if you opted to marry at 22. Uh, And so the reticence to combine accounts, it makes more sense when you think about it from that angle. And so much of this choice is going to depend on, you know, what you're comfortable with. But having a mix of separate and combined accounts, maybe that, maybe that could be the the right approach for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly could be, right? Like, but separating your money can get tricky too, right? Combining isn't always the easiest thing because one of you might be on money gear number two, one of you might be on money gear number six, and it might be feel like there's some imbalance there, mm-hmm. right? And, but separating your money, it, it gets tricky too. And, and either way you choose to go, is going to involve communicating expectations clearly. Yeah. You, you yeah. might you might want to each have your own account in order to feel like you have more independence and, and some more personal flexibility. But then you'll likely also want a third account where you combine at least a certain amount of money for your shared, shared responsibility of bills that you pay together. But whether you're combining 
or completely separating your finances, or maybe you're just doing a bit of both. You're kind of taking an all of the above approach. Communication really is the key yep. to, to making your system work. And if you're looking for some digital help, the Honeydew app is pretty cool. It can make that easier. So I don't know, maybe that maybe that helps aid in the communication. So it's something you can both look at separately on your phones. But man, the reality is whichever direction you take, whichever feels best for your specific circumstances, whether it's combining or separating, communication is uh, paramount no matter what. Totally, yeah. I mean, we're huge on communication because the number one cause for fights and ultimately for divorce is money problems and not communicating well uh, about money. So whether it's an app or whether you're taking kind of a more manual approach, we would encourage you to have regular money check-ins. We we would recommend that you get like a monthly budget date on your calendar. Uh, And this is something that doesn't have to be super formal where you're both sitting down at a table and you have like, you know, a sheet of of paper and and it feels super formal. Uh, Maybe this is something instead that can can be a date, like a literal date where you go out. Maybe this can be something that you do at a brewery. Um, It doesn't have to be dreary. And having an open line of communication about how you guys are, you know, allocating your savings or your investments and your spending, that's going to serve you well for years to come. Uh, and this is true whether you combine your finances or if you keep your, your finances separate, but it's especially true if you are keeping your money separate. It makes me think of uh, like long distance relationships. You are not in the same geographic location. And so if you think that you can just coast along when it comes to the effort that you're putting into that relationship while you're long distance, uh, you're probably not going to be in that relationship for much longer. It it almost takes extra effort. Yeah, it takes a degree of additional effort to be talking about the important things to see what is going on in each other's lives because you literally can't see it. I guess, obviously, FaceTime, you're able to to see stuff, but you're not living life together. And so while being intentional with your relationship, whether you're in the same town or even if you you just celebrated your 10-year anniversary or something like that, it's still good to be proactive within that context, but it's even more important to prioritize that uh, that intentionality if you are long distance. And the same thing, I think, can be true when it comes to your money. Because when your money is in separate accounts, it's almost like your money is long distance. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like rather than all of your money together, hanging out together in the same bank account uh, that you're both looking at. Instead, it's like, the, it's like that money is in different states. It's like it's in different countries and different parts of the world. And you got to be a little more proactive in order to avoid those fights yeah. and in order for y'all to stay together. If your money's hanging out in Peru and and, you know, your partner's money is hanging out in Canada. It's harder for them to communicate. It's and, tricky. Yeah. It, fortunately, it doesn't cost as much as it used to. Long distance calls. Remember those? Those used to be... I barely uh, remember. That. <laughs> At least you're in the same time zone, though. Yeah, I know. I know, right? <laughs> well, but it is important to mention because uh, it, it, I feel like combining those accounts makes it easier to be on the same page about goals, hopes, and dreams, and then saving together for uh, to, to be able to accomplish those things you want to do. It's a little more difficult if you make them separate. Although having an account for each of you might be helpful for other reasons. But let's talk about debit cards for a second. That was the the last question that Sanders posed. And the interesting thing is, you know, we're, we're not huge debit card guys, but we'll, we will give our thoughts on this one because uh, we, we would say the best debit card is not using one at all, uh, which... The best debit card is a credit card. Is the one you don't have. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're fans of folks using credit cards instead of debit cards, yeah. right? Because if they can handle them properly, paying them off, you know, in full and on time, then that's your best bet for spending all your money because of the rewards that you're going to get in associate and and some of the extra protections that you have using a credit card instead of a debit card. But if you're one of those folks who has a tough time using credit cards without going overboard, a debit card is going to be a necessity, right? So you don't pay interest and fees. And so which one is best? Well, at least in the, all the research we've done over the years, discover seems to have the best one. We, we already like their online banking platform. I'm, 
been a Discover customer for years, but you can also earn 1% back on all your purchases on that debit card up to $3,000 in purchases a month when you use that Discover debit card that's associated with the checking account. I don't know, Matt, of any other debit cards that give you cash back for using them. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a listener will reach out to us and say, no, there's a this one or that one too. But Discover is at least the one that's most famous for this. Yeah. And, and they've been doing it uh, for, for a long time, benefiting customers who do prefer to use debit cards instead of credit. I think there's a couple others out there, but Discover has been the most consistently solid that you can count on. They're a big name, but they're not too big, right? It's sort of like the Goldilocks issue here. Like you don't want to go with somebody who's offering something really sweet and they're kind of small, but they might do away with that thing next month. Yeah. Um, or they might not be around a year from now because exactly, it's one of those fintech exactly. startups. But maybe they'll get bought out by Discover. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you want to avoid some of these names, uh, some of these banks who are really large and you know 1% back. Like that's not an amazing amount of cash back. So it's not like we're jumping up and down over here, but I guess it's better than nothing. Uh, but we're also not fans of debit cards because at the end of the day, yeah, you are more liable for fraudulent purchases on a debit card uh, than you'd be with a credit card. At most, you'd be paying up to $50 for, uh, for fraudulent charges on a credit card. But if you end up waiting too late to report the fraud with a debit card, you could be responsible for up to $500 or even the full amount of money that was charged to your account, according to the FTC. If you wait more than like 60 days, uh, you are at risk of not getting any of that money back. Yeah, if you're totally not checking your statements and you don't realize that someone grabbed your debit card, took it without your permission and started charging charging things up on that account and you're just oblivious to it for a couple of months, boom, you might be on the hook for all of it. Yeah, you might be screwed. That being said, you know, what, like, what's the likelihood of someone actually stealing your information, making uh, those fraudulent purchases? It's not very high, but that's just another reason uh, that we're fans of credit cards over debit cards. Again, though, we want to make sure that you are spending in a responsible way. And so if you count on the ability to not spend more than what you actually have in your account. Uh, if you've had a problem with overspending in the past, then avoiding credit cards altogether, that might be the path for you to take Sanders. But we wish you and your significant other uh, all the best. Joel, we've got several other questions that we're going to get to during this episode, including one about uh, some house hacking. We'll get to that plus others right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, 
if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, Matt, let the Monday interrogations continue. We've got more Ask Kind of Money questions to get to. And and this one is about finding. Uh, Where do you even track? How do you uncover the fees in that investment account? Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Andy from Utah. So my wife was a teacher before we got married. She taught for four years in elementary school and contributed to a 403B plan with a company that worked with her school district. When she stopped teaching, once we started having kids, we left the money in there and it's just continued to grow over the last 11 years, which has been an amazing run. And for as little money as was in there, it's grown pretty big. I'm not sure what the fee structure is with this company. I've been looking for it and I cannot find it anywhere. She's planning on going back to work here probably in the next three years. So we'll be faced with the uh, dilemma of either continuing to contribute with the 403B at the company that she's at or doing something else with that money. So I guess I have two questions really. One, how do I find the fee structure for companies that offer 403Bs? Is there a place where that's normally posted? Is there a central location for comparing 403B plans uh, that would list that information? And second, if the fee structure stinks, which I suspect that it does, and they don't do any kind of matching with that school district, how do I cash out that 43B and should I put it in something like an IRA, uh, some other kind of retirement vehicle? What would you recommend? Thanks so much. Have a good one. 
All right, Andy, good to hear from you. And man, 403Bs. <laughs> These accounts can be rife with fees. They're, they're often so incredibly bad, uh, particularly for educators. That a nonprofit called 403B Wise, they got started to help warn folks about how to navigate these plans. Uh, but 403B Wise, they even they've got this vendor database so that you can look up your state, you can look up your school district in order to see how good or how bad your particular plan is. Uh, and no surprise, but there are more in the bad category. I looked up here in Atlanta, Fulton County, they get an F <laughs> on the vendors and the offerings that they provide for teachers here. Uh, but we will link to that database where you, uh, hopefully you or your wife can search her school district and to figure out how they stack up, how they rank. Yeah. And we could totally take a crap on Fulton County right now. And that would be okay, I think, because they should do better by the, yeah. the teachers in their district. But the reality is they're not alone and not even close to alone <laughs> because there, there are just so many bad 403 plans, uh, in, so many bad vendors and so many bad choices that, that most teachers have access to just as crummy options as the teachers in Fulton County. It doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Uh, but the state of California actually created a site called 403B Compare that we'll link to as well, Matt, because uh, teachers across the United States can use this tool, even though it's a California created tool, in order to see what sorts of, of fees your plan charges. And basically, because California is such a large state, you're really likely to find the vendor that your wife's 403B plan uses, Andy, on that site in order to dig up the fee info. And they have a lot of details listed out uh, to where you can not only look up the vendor, but the specific products that that vendor offers too. And if you're having trouble, there's a 403BY's Facebook group. It's a place where you can find other teachers asking the same type of questions. And this is the exact kind of thing that, that Facebook was made for, Matt, that Facebook is best at. You know, it's like the How to Money Facebook group rocks and finding like really specific <laughs> Facebook groups like this where you can find the information you need. Yep, it's, a like that. It's, it's a great place to turn. And, and we just, we agree with Andy because the fact is that the, the fees are hidden so well, it's telling, right? It makes me think that the fees are probably awful. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be a little more front and center. Mm -hmm. They would be a little more upfront about what the costs are of these plans if they weren't egregious and appalling. That's right. Yeah. So Andy, let's say you look up those fees, you finally find them uh, and your suspicions are confirmed. They do in fact suck. <laughs> maybe the funds uh, your wife has access to in that account, maybe they have expense ratios in like the 2% or more range, which would be epically awful. And if, if that's the case, then we would want you to get that money into another account as soon as possible. And in all likelihood, you would want to roll that 403B over into an IRA that you have full control of. Uh, and you can either do it yourself, uh, or there's this cool company called Capitalize. Uh, they will help you to do that for free. Uh, they specialize in 401ks, but 403Bs are very similar to 401ks. And so that is something that they also, that's a service they also provide for teachers as well. For, for those who have 403B accounts. But moving that money to uh, like a low cost provider with a lot more investment options is going to be your best bet for continuing to grow that money moving forward uh, with far fewer fees that are going to be just torpedoing your performance. Yeah. I know you've seen a lot of growth. The past 11 years have been, been fantastic. But just imagine if uh, you were with Fidelity or if yeah. you were with a low cost provider where every single one of those dollars were able to compound and grow over the years. Yeah, it, it's basically the rising tide has lifted all boats. <laughs> and, and the only thing is your tide hasn't gone up quite as quickly because of the fees dragging down that performance. But the low cost providers, Vanguard and Fidelity, th those are, of course, ones that Matt and I talk about all the time. And they do a great job of keeping fees low for teachers in 403B plans. 
it's just a huge bummer that most of these school districts go with insurance companies to run their plans mm-hmm. instead of the far superior low-cost brokerage houses. Because it's it's not necessarily about the fact that 403Bs are inferior, man. It's because of the vendors that these school administrators choose to go with. <laughs> if they would just go with the low-cost options, teachers would be just as well-served as someone who has a 401k. Um, and, and Andy, if your wife doesn't have a match in her 403B when she eventually does go back to work, as most don't, she's going to almost inevitably want to invest elsewhere instead of putting more money away in her 403B. That could mean putting more money away in her traditional or Roth IRA. Everything really hinges on these fees when it comes to which account you're going to want to prioritize investing in. And investing in a 403B might make sense uh, for a lot of teachers, depending on the fees. But the, the, the reality is, it might be better as your secondary <laughs> retirement account, focusing on your IRA first, because you have so much more control over the investment options and the fees that you're paying. That's right. And the other thing is, if she does only have those crummy options, it might be worth kind of like fighting the good fight. It might be worth pressing the folks who make the decisions, uh, like the HR folks or folks in the school board, to consider adding some better low-cost investment choices if the current plan doesn't have any good options. Uh, There's a chance that they aren't intentionally offering a crappy product. They just don't know any better. Uh, And one more thing, too, since most teachers qualify for a pension, which helps provide some stability in retirement, taking more risk with the funds that they choose to invest makes a lot of sense. And that's going to mean opting for a heavier stock allocation. Uh, And so, yeah, if you're in the wealth building phase of your life, and if you're a teacher, those low cost total stock market funds, or even the uh, S&P 500 index funds, those are going to be an even better choice for you when it comes to properly allocating your money in a way that is going to allow for the most growth for for years to come. Well, Andy, good luck finding those 403 BVs. I hope those, the things we mentioned, uh, likely so we'll link to in the show notes, hopefully those help you actually figure out what you're paying uh, in fees or what your wife's plan is, is charging in fees. And in all likelihood, you're going to want to move that, that money away from that 403B provider stat to a company that cares a little bit more and prioritizes low fees. And it's something you can DIY pretty easily or use a company like Capitalize who will help you do it for free. Uh, but Matt, let's get on to another investing question. This one is about inheriting a retirement account. Hey, Matt and Joel, this is Taylor from Chicago. I just had a question about inheriting an IRA account. I am currently inheriting about $27,000 in a traditional IRA account. I would like to use the money in about one to two years towards a down payment on a house. What would you guys suggest I do with the money in the meantime, especially if I would like the opportunity to possibly make it grow a little bit more? Thanks in advance, and I love your show. All right, Taylor, thank you so much for your question. And uh, first off, we are sorry for your loss because uh, when you inherit money, that's certainly good from the vantage point of you know being able to reach your financial goals more quickly, but it's obviously an awful thing because it means that you lost someone that, uh, that you're close to. Uh, and so we wanted to, to start with that. Our condolences to you, Taylor. Yeah, agreed, Matt. Uh, let's get to the heart of Taylor's question. Let's, let's tackle it head on because it sounds like Taylor wants to use all this money and she wants to do so in the not so distant future in order to buy a home. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot worse things she could be doing with these funds. She could be, oh, uh, yeah. I don't know, taking a trip to Cabo <laughs> or something like that, which I don't know, sounds like fun. And you could use a small amount of those proceeds to do something like that. But maybe, I, maybe. I love that she wants to do something responsible. Yeah, exactly. I think that this is going to be an awesome way to honor whoever it is that left that money to her, mm-hmm. right? Because I I mean, I've got a friend and he received a small inheritance and he spent that money on a BMW like X3 or something like, <laughs> like the SUV BMW. Uh-huh. And, you know, 
he's going to be fine financially. But that being said, that is not the best use of funds when it comes to a large chunk of cash like that. Yes, we agreed. want you to be focusing on on assets that are going to appreciate over time, not something that's going to like. There's no way that he has that car still, right? And it's something he was able to enjoy for a while. But something like buying a house, it's like man, man that's a there's there's like legacy there. Yeah, uh, and it's something that you can always look back to. Agreed, agreed. And and interestingly enough, you know the rules for what you need to do when you inherit an IRA they changed just a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-spousal beneficiaries now have to take all of that money. They have to take it all out of the account in uh, within ten, a 10-year time frame. And fortunately, since these withdrawals are required, you don't have to pay a penalty in order to take that money out early, but uh, you know, b- or before the age of 59 and a half. But Taylor, she wants to access that money sooner. So really, there's not much else to say on that front. I just thought it might be of help to others who uh, inherit an IRA and are trying to figure out what to do. Some people might say, "I just want to let it. I just want to let it continue to grow and keep it in the market." Uh, but but the reality is that you're you're forced now by law to to withdraw that money uh, out of, out of that IRA, closing it out within ten years. Yeah, that's right. One thing that's worth mentioning as well is that if uh, whoever it is that you're receiving this inherited IRA from, if they had already started taking RMDs, so required minimum distributions, that is something that you're going to have to continue. This is uh, based on guidance from the IRS earlier this year. And essentially, you're going to be put on a schedule. But Taylor, if that's not the case for for you, if you received this money uh, from someone and they were not taking required minimum distributions, then you can be a little more strategic when it comes to withdrawing that money. So what I'm saying is like you might want to break up your withdrawals evenly, uh, say in 2022 and in 2023, so that maybe you're spreading out that tax liability that you'll have to pay. Uh, that's partially from a budgeting perspective, but it's also important to mention that taking it all out in one year, that like that could push you into a higher tax bracket. Uh, and if that's the case, you're going to end up paying a higher rate on at least some of those dollars. And so just keep that in mind, because so much of this is going to depend on your specific AGI and how close it is that you are to that next tax bracket. Yeah, these rules, they get a little murky. They're kind of hard to decipher. A little wonky. So much depends on yeah who who you inherited the money from and where they were, how old they were, and whether they were taking those RMDs exactly. or not, like you said, Matt. But it sounds like based on how Taylor wants to take the money out, the fact that she wants to take it out over just within the next two years anyway. Yeah, next She years. might be required to take a small amount out th- uh, this year or next year, but she wants to take it all in the next 24 months anyway. And here's the thing, uh, Taylor, you don't want to be investing the money, though, that you're going to take out of this account as you shut this IRA down and you're withdrawing those funds, whether you're doing it over a year or two. There's just too much risk of losing the base amount that you inherited that you need for the down payment for that house. So what we would say is, is you know, I would probably sock away $10,000 of the money that you take out this year into I-bonds. And then I'd put the rest in a high-yield savings account. And that's because I-bonds are yielding somewhere close to 10% return Heck right yeah. now. You can put 10 grand in, and all you, you, the only thing you're forced to do is to keep it in there for a, at least a full calendar year. Uh, you're not going to grow the money in a big way, but you also won't have to worry about losing it either. If you had more of like a loose timeline, let's say, and you didn't necessarily need the money for a down payment, it's just kind of one of these things like, I don't know, maybe I'll get around to it four or five, six years. Yeah, I might buy a house in five years. Then you could afford to take a little more risk and and hope in hopes that you could eke out a bigger return. But it just doesn't sound like that's the case. And we don't want you to inhibit your ability to buy that house by taking on too much risk, by stocking away money that you can't afford to lose in the market. And let's say we experienced another 10% 10% decline. And now you have less money in order to go out there in the market and buy a house with. Mm-hmm. That just puts you behind the eight ball even more when it comes to accomplishing that goal you have. 
So Taylor, best of luck to you. Uh, we hope that, that we've got you pointed in the right direction. Joel, we've got a couple other questions we're going to get to, including uh, a question from a listener who is looking to get started in real estate. We'll get to that, plus one more right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach. Do. Every single summer, we've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs 
and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we literally have a listener coming up who wants to know what the best How to Money episodes are. And oh, yeah, we didn't even mention that one. I, I don't <laughs> know if we're necessarily the best people to ask because we would say they're all our babies and we love them equally, except for the first 50 episodes. Just, just go back and listen to all of them. Uh, we're not going to pick any favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Unlikely. No, we'll get around to that question in just a minute. But, but let's first take a question from a listener who wants to know which house hacking strategy is best for him. Hey, Matt and Joel, I am Colin from Kansas City. Love the show. I'm going to get right to it. I want to get into long-term real estate investing, but right now I need to decide whether I should build or I should buy. We own a single family home and I was thinking about building an accessory dwelling unit garage combo on our property or finishing our roughly 1500 square foot basement to rent out uh, for extra continued income. The ADU would be the preferred method or do I buy something that already exists, uh, preferably a duplex, but I would settle for a single family home? My wife and I are both 30 years old. We currently have about 21000 in savings, which is about nine months bare bones expenses, and we contribute an additional $100 each month. We have $17,000 in our checking account, which I feel is too much, which is why I want to get into more investing, specifically real estate. I fully fund my Roth IRA and my wife fully funds her work-sponsored 401k. We owe about $155,000 left on our house, but we only have a 2.75% APR. We currently put an extra $500 on the principal each month, which I know is not the preferred method, which is why I'm looking to put that money elsewhere. So I'd like to get your thoughts, and thanks so much. All right, Colin. Thank you for your question. And first things first, you said long-term real estate investing, uh, which is the right mindset. Uh, and you're also thinking through a few different strategies to get into it, which is smart. But before we get straight into some of the, the pros and the cons of which path uh, you might want to take, let's let's take a step back and look maybe holistically at your finances, because I love that you are seeing the ways that your money isn't working hard for you uh, and that you're working to do something about it, because having too much cash on hand really can be a financial problem worth solving, because on one hand, cash, it's not trash, but you can overdo it. You can have too much cash on hand and using your money inefficiently can be a problem as well. As folks who want to build their wealth and, and grow our money, you are right. Like we are not big fans of you paying down a, a, a 2.75 mortgage early. We don't like you paying extra payments towards that, especially given the current reality of inflation, which makes makes that mortgage look you know more like a safe haven than a liability. Uh, so just generally speaking, we think that you are heading in the right direction. We think you are thinking about your money and your finances and what to do next in a healthy way. Yeah. As the, the facts on the ground change, as inflation continues to be a major problem, it, it does make your mortgage look like less of a problem. And it's not that debt is awesome or that we would say, go take out six more mortgages because <laughs> if you can get them at low rates, 
It's just that there are better things to be doing with your money. Sure. And, and so paying you know those extra hundreds of dollars each month towards something and putting it towards something more productive is something we can get behind. And so Matt, let's get to the heart of Colin's question. He says, which route should he be taking? Well, let's discuss that for a second because I've got to be honest. I mean, yeah, Colin made it sound like finishing the basement isn't his favorite option. But it's probably my favorite option based on the ones he based on the ones he laid out. And you don't want to do this, Colin. Yeah. But I want you to do this. Exactly. <laughs> Colin, do what your buddy Joel says. Okay. And because I think you know it'll almost inevitably produce the best ROI, the best return on his investment. Why is that? Well, because he's already got four walls and a foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he's already got plumbing piped to this thing, and, and he can tie into it pretty easily. He's he's going to want to get a few quotes on on how much it's going to cost to finish that basement out first. But you also want to know what you what you can rent it for. Uh, here's the thing, though: there's a good chance that this is the best place to invest your money, at least initially, because it's going to allow you to more quickly start to make rental income with the least amount of capital required on your part to kind of get things going. Yeah, and you know, depending on what neighborhood you live in, renting out that basement on Airbnb could increase the potential for revenue as well. But our, our second favorite option is for you to buy a duplex because building out an ADU, it sounds like that, that was maybe the option you were leaning towards in particular, maybe because it has a garage. Uh, Why are we crushing Colin's <laughs> hopes and dreams today? <laughs> Below it. Sorry, we're, Colin. We're not against ADUs. We're not no, against carriage houses. We're literally sitting in one right now recording uh, this podcast. This one was built 100 years ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because, uh, you know, building an ADU, like it's great. It makes sense in a lot of cases. But we're talking about typically like an extensive process of getting drawings done, uh, permitting, actually building the thing. Uh, and the cost to build has risen substantially over the last couple of years, although the price of wood in particular and some of the other materials have dropped based on uh, compared to where uh, those prices were earlier in the year. But the same reasons that make a basement the attractive option, that's what's making building a new ADU less attractive, right? Uh, it's just more difficult to finance as well, which which might mean coming up with a bunch of cash that might be more difficult to save up if you were looking to possibly finance some of it. Yeah, Matt, I mean, I think we talked about <laughs> one of our first episodes was about putting some sort of like I wanted to put an Airstream in my backyard and rent it out on Airbnb. I never did that. But that's one of those things where I've, I've seen other people do it successfully. It's been on my radar, just haven't pounced. And an ADU was on my radar there for a while. I looked into it. I ran the numbers. Uh, this was probably three and a half years ago at pre-pandemic before the world went haywire. Mm-hmm. And the price was not great, but reasonable. Yeah. And I was going to, it would have been profitable for me to make that pounce. I just didn't do it. Well, I looked the other day. So basically there's this company where we live and it's kind of like a Sears Robux catalog style thing. They've got four different units. They don't really vary them very so, much. House in a box. Exactly. And they're like, <laughs> do you want this, 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 or this? And they've all got these firm, flat, fixed prices. Mm-hmm. And it's literally 25% more to build that ADU today than That's it crazy. was four years, three, three and a half, four years ago. And so it's just amazing at how how quickly those costs have skyrocketed. The, yeah, the, the, the lumber, but also the labor. And so building from scratch is going to be a more costly endeavor. That is particularly why we like Colin building out his basement. It might not be his favorite, but at least from a financial standpoint, it's going to be the, the best option for him. Yeah, but real quick, I'll, I'll provide an argument maybe against both the basement and the ADU, which is oftentimes I think folks 
they, they tend to look to their property because they already own it. It seems like the path of least resistance. It seems like a very prudent way to kind of dabble and start thinking about real estate. But you also run the risk of potentially overbuilding uh, for your neighborhood or for your part of town or, yeah, for the specific neighborhood you live in. You might end up being the, the nicest or maybe the biggest house around. And when it comes to appreciation, what that means is, it, is you're going to see a lot less appreciation on that home for the money that you put into it rather than if you were just to go outside of that property and buy yeah. a completely new property. And so that's just something else uh, to keep in mind when it comes to what you're going to do with this money that you're thinking to invest. Well, let's talk about one more option then, because shopping for maybe like a multifamily home, that could be potentially Colin's yeah. best bet too. Either if let's say the numbers don't make sense on a basement rehab, or if you're just not comfortable renting out a portion of your house, or if you start looking into building an ADU and you're like, shocked, <laughs> sticker shock at the prices. Well, I, I actually started, Matt, I looked on Redfin for multifamily options in Collins City, calling from Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it looks like there are a bunch of killer properties there that are pretty inexpensive. Yeah. And uh, now that the housing market is, is kind of experiencing a lull right now, we're likely to see more opportunities for savvy investors who have been patiently waiting for a good opportunity to, to jump on a killer deal. And so, uh, I don't know, a lot of these multifamilies that I saw where Colin is, I don't know exactly where he is. General search in Kansas City, though, yeah. definitely showed some, I, I looked as well, and so <laughs> yeah. like there's some really cool, old school, like solid brick looking duplexes. Some of which were listed quadplexes. for 45, 60 days. They'd been around for a little bit, yes, and, and yep. maybe you might be able to get a little bit of a price cut on those on those properties. Things are cooling off. So we would say find a great agent, Colin. You know, scour the listings in a few neighborhoods that you like for a couple of months. Keep running the numbers, and you'll know when the right one comes along that's worth making an offer on. I could just see maybe that being the best particular use of Colin's extra funds is to buy a duplex or a quadplex or something like that. That's going to be like a perpetual revenue generator for for years to come. Yeah, not only is it going to bring that money in every single month, it's going to cash flow, but he will also, I'm sure, see some massive appreciation on that property over the years. But it's it's also hard just to say, to put down some blanket statements saying that this is what you should do, Colin, because it kind of depends on like what it is that you're looking for you personally, like what it, like what it is that you're looking for from a lifestyle standpoint standpoint. Because I will say a part of when we added on to our house was to expand our footprint. Like we wanted to basically to have a dining room that was right off of our kitchen. And at the same time, we were able to then build out the basement, which originally we had on Airbnb. And then Joel, that's where we recorded for the past couple, two, you know, two years, I guess. And so for us, that was just a massive lifestyle upgrade. I th- honestly, I think it's what allowed us to stay in that home through the pandemic while we were while kids were at home, virtual learning. We, we had the space to be able to do that. And of course, we had the space to be able to uh, take over the Airbnb and record. And so, Colin, I don't want to completely shoot down your dreams of having an ADU with a garage because you need more space because you know, like you're talking about that two something percent mortgage. If that allows you to potentially hang on to that house and to keep that mortgage where it basically feels like the bank is paying you to continue to stay in that house with what you're able to earn elsewhere, then it might be worth thinking through some of these different creative ways to hang on to that property. And who knows, maybe that does involve building a little garage with a, with an apartment above it. Yeah, there's a difference, Matt, between the best financial decision and the best decision for you. Yep. Right? There you go. It's not, we can tell you in all likelihood, running the numbers on different scenarios, well, this one's probably going to make more financial sense. But let's say you're like, uh, you, you build out the basement because that the, the numbers make the most sense. But then having people stay in your home freaks you out <laughs> and you stop. That's wasted money. That's money down the drain then if you're not going to be able to actually use it to make money because you realized 
it's too close to proximity for for these Airbnb strangers, and <laughs> I don't have any friends who want to rent this space out. So the, yeah, yeah, those are the kind of things you have to take into into consideration. Yeah, for sure, you can't just make the decision based on the numbers, but hopefully, all of our thoughts combined help Colin make a good yeah. decision for his situation. Yeah, maybe that investment property is too close. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. Yeah. Uh, and we know when you've got a, some distance between you and that property, uh, maybe the tenant's going to be less likely. Like literally, I've had tenants before say, "Hey." there is a spider in the house. Like, can you get the exterminator out here? I'm like, hey, the exterminator was just there and spiders are just a part of life. Like yeah. sometimes there are going to be spiders. Plus spiders, yeah, take care of the other bugs. So yeah, exactly. Take care of them. <laughs> uh, the fact is when you have a tenant or guest there on site, on property where they have, where, it, where they think they have 24-7 access to you, that might be something that you might want to avoid as well. Yep, all things worth considering. Keep going back and forth here. But Colin, <laughs> we're going to leave it to you to make the best decision. There you go. All right, choose your own adventure, Colin. But best of luck, let us know what you end up deciding. And Matt, we've got one last question to get to. This one is something we hadn't thought about enough. So I'm glad that Alexandria is asking this one of us today. Hi, Matt. Hi, Joel. My name's Alexandria, and I'm calling in from Arizona. When I first started my financial journey, I came across the How to Money podcast, and I absolutely went through a binge of episodes. My journey with you guys has been phenomenal. When I first started out, I had like a 630 credit score, a little bit of credit card debt, and I just wanted better for myself and my two kiddos. Since then, I have bought a home. I have raised my credit score to about like an 810. I have a big chunk of savings that fluctuates between like 15 and 20,000 depending on what's going on with my house. I am contributing well over what's expected for a match in my um, government TSP. And my kids also have 529s and tucking a little bit of money away in a private Roth as well. I am doing way more than what I was doing before. Um, I do have a car note and I do have my house note, but um, right now things are great financially. I do want to say that because of that, my friends often ask me, uh, friends and family members for financial advice, and I don't feel like I'm always equipped to give them that, so I recommend them to listen to the How to Money podcast. A lot of times I'll skim through old and new episodes and try to compile a list for them that they might be interested in. But out of curiosity, if you were recommending 10 episodes to someone with little to no experience with finances, what would be your top 10 How to Money picks? I look forward to hearing from you guys. And again, thank you for this amazing podcast. You guys don't know how many lives you're changing. Man, talk about a rush of uh, all the good feels. We love hearing these type of uh, success stories. And holy crap, Alexandria, it sounds like you are totally crushing it. You, you're contributing to multiple retirement accounts. You've got that uh, emergency fund set up. You're putting away money for your kid's college. Uh, you know, even if you weren't in too terrible of a financial position when you first found the podcast. Like what I'm hearing in your voice is confidence, right? And that is 
totally worth celebrating as well. Uh, you've got a plan for your money now, and we are so glad to have played any type of role in getting you there. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the confidence thing because I, I swear uh, that's what she's got going. It's on. like oozing, oozing oh, yeah. ever, and just to <laughs> just, just to realize like which one all these steps she's been able to make, but two just the fact that she's super confident moving forward. She's like, I know where I'm going, mm. and I know the steps to get there, and I'm gonna do it. Yeah, uh, that she's knocking it out to me. That that like uh, speaks volumes about Alexandria, and, and I feel like sometimes hearing a listener say that on the show can be powerful for other listeners to be like, oh, cool, <laughs> look what she did, look mm-hmm. what she accomplished, and that's that's Heck, actually yeah. wh- why we started the How You Money segment of our How to Money newsletter. That's right. Not that we put out uh, every Tuesday morning. We're basically featuring other How to Money listeners, their money wins, their successes, how they're handling money on whatever income they're bringing forward. We're, we're revealing some of those numbers and then allowing them to kind of expound just a little bit on their story inside of that newsletter. I think there's something so powerful about seeing how other people in the community are doing what they're doing and the steps that they're taking that you can learn from and iterate from. And Alexandria is one of those folks. I think a lot of people are going to be like, cool. Oh, wow. All right. My credit score sucks too. Like, how can I, how can I take that same path? But uh, to your question, Alexandria, uh, top 10 favorite episodes or top 10 episodes that we would suggest people starting with. That's, uh, that's a good, good question. It's kind of a tough one. It, mm-hmm. it is kind of like choosing our favorite child. Although I could tell you what my favorite child is right now, Matt. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Try not to do a spit take. Here, <laughs> <laughs> Tricky. I caught you right in the middle of a sip of water. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the first one that comes to mind is episode 302, which was kind of when we came up with the seven money gears. And uh, this, this is likely going to be like one of the most valuable episodes for new listeners who have no idea what they should be doing with their yep. money. Uh, because in that totally episode, agree. we basically we created a, a roadmap, a money roadmap, where anybody could quickly identify where they're at on their personal finance journey. And you know, it's going to give people some context so they're not going to feel like they're wandering out in the desert all alone, unsure of which direction they're headed. And, and a, a lot of folks are going to be able to quickly realize, yep, I'm on money gear number one or two, uh, but and, and then they're going to be able to know where where they need to go from there, the next steps they need to take. But what's great about that is they're going to be able to quickly gain traction and, and see results as they get that basic emergency fund together, or as they they start getting the company match in their 401k that they mm-hmm. were leaving on the table. Yeah. But then others are going to realize that they're already moving in the right direction, that they they're actually picking up steam, and they're actually maybe in money gear number four, and maybe that's going to be an encouragement to them that they're doing better than they thought that they were. So that's a one episode that we would say we should start with, but uh, we've, we've actually got a, a list of 10, thanks to Alexandria, that we compiled together Heck to, yeah. uh, for folks to, to know where to start. Yep, totally. Yeah, definitely start there. But then beyond that, we would recommend episodes that focus on finding the balance between being frugal and spending less versus earning more money. Uh, we talked about that back in episode 284. We want listeners to know how they can keep themselves debt-free. That was episode 467. But then we also we, we want to take it to the next level as well and introduce listeners to the like paradigm-shifting view of the FIRE movement and how overall it's a great thing, but that it does have its drawbacks. We talked about that back in episode 425. And, you know, rather than run through a a full laundry list of episodes, you know, thanks to this nudge from Alexandria, we just published our top 10 episode recommendations for folks who are just getting started with their personal finances. Uh, We will make sure to link to that in the show notes, as well as uh, on the start here portion of our site up there in the navigation bar. Uh, But we really think that this is going to be a great resource for folks out there. So especially if you're listening and maybe like Alexandra, you've done amazing things with your money and you've got folks who are asking you like, how'd you do that? Like, this is this is pretty phenomenal, man. Like I knew you three years ago and you are not the person that you used to be back then. But it can also be difficult 
difficult in podcast format to be to see an episode and think, okay, this is a full comprehensive view of what you need to be learning. That's where a post like this can come in handy, where we've got several, specifically 10 different episodes that will get folks started so that they do not only have that roadmap view of their finances, but just to, to be able to see some of the other things that they should start thinking about. Uh, and again, yeah, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be there. It'll be up on our website. Big thanks to Alexandria for getting the ball rolling on that because it was something that had been like kind of sort of bouncing around in the nether regions of my brain. It, it hadn't crystallized yet. Yeah. Like, like as soon as we heard this question, we're like, oh, this makes so much oh, sense. Yeah. How have we not done that? Yeah. <laughs> How have we not created that, exactly. that resource for people? Because we have the, yeah, the money gears to start here thing. But you're right. Sometimes you want to be able to share with your friend, hey, I like this podcast. If you're kind of, I, I see that you're interested in getting your personal finances together, but you don't know where to start. I think the, you know, download these 10 episodes. That'll be a good place. Like you'll, you get enough comprehensive information there on a bunch of different topics where you'll be able to up your knowledge in a significant way uh, in not too much time and then start taking action accordingly. So That's right. It's Alex, a nice little personal finance toolkit. Yeah. So thanks, Alexandria, for making that happen, for putting that on our radar. So we actually yeah, got it done and we wish you continued success. But Matt, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's move on. Let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. Let's do it. This was a, a Saison by Green Bench Brewing. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, specifically, this was St. Peter's Saison de Banc Vert. And dude, I've got one word for this beer and it is bretonomyces uh this has brett out the butt <laughs> well, tell, tell people what it is what that Brett is. is i mean it's, it's a type of bacteria uh it gives a beer like it's, it's it's definitely funky but it's not like in my mind this beer isn't like farmhouse like horse blanket funk it is just straight brett yeah. like the, like the breadiness in this beer, not breadiness, but Brett, uh, the Brettiness of this beer is, it might be the breadiest beer I've ever had. Like it almost reminded me, did you ever, uh, what, what is that throat spray? Like if you got a sore throat and you like oh, open your yeah. mouth. I know what you're talking about. It's like that. Is it's it like a numbing. Blanca? No. No, no. That's like middle mm-hmm. school, my breast stings oh. and I'm talking to the girls. Kind of. No, I'm talking about like it's, it's either blue or red and it's like a pump bottle. And if you're sick or you've got a sore throat, you spray that back there. It's, it's got this numbing action. Oh, I'm just talking about. It almost has hints of that. I'm not saying that this tastes like like cough syrup or, or like throat medicine. Maybe it does a little bit. <laughs> but even still, it was. Uh, I still enjoy this beer. I'm glad it's one that you and I got to enjoy. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I thought this one had more citrus notes than most saisons oh, do. You know, citrus notes. All right, man, bring yeah. it. I, which it, it, usually there's less. There's more like peppery notes or more oaky notes and this one was oaky with a little bit of funk but it definitely brought more citrus vibe than a whole lot of saisons do so i thought it was like yeah it felt like a little more of a balanced saison to me than a lot of them although i don't know i kind of like saisons going hard in the saison direction mm-hmm. but it was still yeah i would say it was good it was good um and i like some of the beers that green bench is making haven't had one in a while so it's yeah, yeah, been good, a minute good revisit one from a good brewery down in florida yeah but i will say if you found in the past that you do not like bretomyces, then this beer is not for you. <laughs> but Joel, that's going to be it for this episode, buddy. Listeners can find our show notes up on the website at howtomoney.com. Yeah, and if you want to catch those How You Money segments, they're in our newsletter. And the next one comes out tomorrow. So make sure to go subscribe that's at howtomoney.com slash newsletter. You'll be glad you did. So that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out.
Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 